It's Friday. It's the Friday stream. Let's pick it up. My voice gon' get so rip, you tell you rip, I bet till the very end. Y'all friends gon' need some sin, cause I'm about to beat them in. My son gon' wreck you, punch you, pow, you check, you crunch, you wreck you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Friday stream, your show that still smells a little bit like Boston. I'm Chris. I'm Cheese. Hey Cheesy, how you doing baby? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm I'm wicked smelly. Well, actually, I, I took a shower since then, but <laughs> I think I think what you said is you took one of the longest, strongest showers of your life. <laughs> yeah, I tried to fillet the skin from my body with the water pressure. <laughs> we just got back from Red Hat Summit, killer trip. We got a Jupiter Broadcasting Airbnb, and we rocked the nine thousand person strong Red Hat Summit. We'll tell you some of our stories from that in a little bit but first i got some shout outs some hollers to give to some of the other crew drew's here alex is here and brent is here as well hello guys hello hello gentlemen yeehaw <laughs> yeehaw it's friday oh this is a this is a hard-earned friday we got in last night around 11 p.m and um i didn't really think of this ahead of time i parked my car down at the airport and I thought, I'll, you know, we'll get in, I'll drive home. And as long as I get myself some good, some good sleep on the airplane, I'll be all right. And to my credit, I did manage to sneak in a little bit of sleep on the airplane. But, um, and I will never make this mistake again. I don't, don't do like Chris does. But I legit fell asleep driving last night on the way home. I don't think Hadianu because she fell asleep too. But my car has... That self-driving like uh, lane detection, and it'll it'll stop if there's cars slowing down in front of you, and it'll beep at you if you're like falling asleep and distracted and stuff. Turns out that shit works, man, because <laughs> it woke me the fuck up, and uh, I was just like, whoa! So I rolled down the windows, switched off the podcast, turned on some loud music, and then I was fine the rest of the way. But it was just like all of a sudden, I just last night, I was my head was just drifting off. Um, and I didn't even realize it was happening. It was just one moment I was perfectly fine, and the next moment. My head was down, like whipped my head. Whoa, what just happened? Holy crap. And really what woke me up was none of the alarms had gone off yet. And like the self-stop mechanism hadn't kicked in yet, but the wheel had jerked a little bit to, to catch my attention. And that's all it took. It's like, cause I had still had my hands on the wheel. So when it jerked to, to get my attention, I like, I woke up like a, like a lightning bolt had hit me. Um, but that was, whew. Yeah. Pushing hard this week, hard, long nights. Um, meanwhile, the newbie. Drew, he's just he's just at home chilling, just at home chilling. How you doing, Drew? Doing great. Yeah, it's been um, an interesting week getting kind of settled in and doing some shows, editing some shows, getting that all ready to go for publishing. Yeah, thank you for going through all the clips from Red Hat Summit. There were uh, you know a bunch from each day. Oh, only about seventy. <laughs> yeah, seventy clips that you didn't record or have any context for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good time. That's good time. Well, welcome, man. This is your first Friday. No, it's your second Friday. No, your first Friday stream, right? First Friday. I was in the air when you guys were recording last week. Second week, first Friday stream. And uh, we wanted uh, to give the audience a chance to know Drew. He's been a long time Linux user since really there was a Linux desktop. And we talked a little bit about that Linux Unplugged 300. But there is something interesting about Drew that we didn't talk about. 
And rumor around the office has it that you are a rescue rabbit man who rescues rabbits and has like an entire rabbit empire now, which I'm pretty sure if you're not careful, will overthrow you and the wife and run, run your entire kingdom. But let's start, let's back up before we get there. Let's talk about uh, something that I didn't realize was a thing. I don't know if you knew this cheese, but you can actually have like rescue pets, like you can have rescue dogs and rescue cats. There's rescue rabbits. And they're not, they don't have superheroes, it's like rabbits that you, that you rescue, Drew? Like, uh, what the hell? Yeah, well, I mean, so I'm, I'm curious, Drew, like, uh, are these, uh, what I'm thinking is that, you know how everyone wants to get a bunny for their child for Easter or something? Oh, yeah. And then shortly thereafter, they do not want this rabbit anymore. More work than they thought it would be. Yeah, so don't get Easter bunnies. Oh, no, no. People buy their kids actual bunnies for Easter. They do. Oh, people are horrible. And what they don't realize is rabbits are a lot of work. Like, a lot. You know, dogs, cats, they're great pets. And rabbits, a lot of times, are not. Like, don't get me wrong, I love all my rabbits. We have eight. And they're wonderful pets, but they are just a ton of work. A lot of people think, oh, you know, you'll put it in a cage and you don't really have to worry about it most of the time. But I was just going to ask you, could I have a rabbit and just let it run around a backyard? Say it's fenced in and there weren't animals in the backyard. Could it just like, you know, be like Bugs Bunny digging holes and running around? Kind of. It's ill-advised to do that unsupervised. Even if you have a fenced in area, you think, oh, well, nothing's going to get to it. But if you have any large predator birds anywhere in the area, Mm. they can still get to it. Cats can climb over fences, no problem. I mean, there are a lot of things that can get to and eat a rabbit, no problem. What if I put in like a laser detection grid that automatically would shoot something, not harmful somethings, but just something. I'm just, Drew, I I just dream of uh, the the rabbit running around in the backyard, Drew. I just want to have a whole bunch of rabbits (laughs) running around my yard. Come on, Drew. You're taking this, you're taking this too far. What are you going to do in the winter when it gets cold? Where are you going to put them? Hmm. You're going to have to build a burrow for them. We used to have a rabbit back in the day, and um, we left it outside for a couple of hours unsupervised. We, we'd been with it all afternoon. Uh, we went inside, came back out two hours later, and it was gone. Yeah. No. They are precocious little shits. <laughs> <laughs> Say you have a fence. Rabbits dig, like, a lot. You know, they typically rabbits will live underground. They'll, they'll dig themselves a burrow, get in there, and uh, that's where they have their, their young, and that's where they're staying when they're not out and about looking for food. So they can get under a fence, no problem. (laughs) You see a rabbit and you think, oh, you know, it's big and fluffy. Well, it's so fluffy that you can't actually see how small they are underneath. Um, So they can fit through areas that you wouldn't think that they can fit through. I mean, they are wily. So, yeah, I mean, they're realistically, they're a lot of work, but they're very rewarding at the same time. They are excellent pets, but you really need to know what you're getting into if you decide to get a rabbit. You know, all of ours, we don't cage ours. They're, they're free roaming. They're all litter box trained, which is great, but they also don't all get along with each other either. You know, it's not like a dog where a dog sees another dog and nine times out of ten, it's like, oh, you're a dog? I'm a dog too. Let's be dogs together. Now, you know, rabbits, they'll fight. So they're more like cats. They are, yeah, in that respect, you got to be careful when you're introducing them to each other. And 
um, do your research if you're thinking about getting a rabbit because it is, you know, a 10 year commitment and they are a little more sensitive when it comes to health issues. Like there are health things that can happen with rabbits that can require immediate attention that if you're not looking out for it, you won't notice because they're small, they're quiet. They don't really make a lot of fuss when they're feeling sick. So you cannot know something's wrong until it's too late. Uh, so you kind of have to know the signs before you get a rabbit, which is kind of counterintuitive. You know, you think you get a rabbit and then you notice, oh, he's behaving strangely today. Well, by that point, you may be screwed already um, and the rabbit may be not able to be saved. Drew, you know what's funny, man, is um, whenever somebody gets seriously into something like an animal or, uh, uh, you know, like for me, it's RVs. Like you, you end up when you're talking to people about it, you end up kind of trying to sell them out of it. Like you start trying to talk them out of it a little bit. Like, look, man, this is way more work than you think it is. Like, that's how you know, like you're deep into this. Um, are you when you say rescuing them, though, are you like going down and dropping down like a 100 bucks and taking home a rabbit or are they coming to you and they're like, Drew, we have too many rabbits and we need you to get this rabbit from us and save it like what how is that part working short answer yes i mean we started out my wife wanted a rabbit so we did the did the research and then we went and got her a rabbit and um and then we got a friend for that rabbit and then we got some <laughs> more friends you know some females for the two males and then that's how more rabbits are made well no we get them all fixed um all spayed or neutered it must look ridiculous when rabbits are doing it too right it just that must look like that's because they're so adorable, but yet they're so fidgety and fast, right? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know because yeah, you know, we've we've always it's been a policy in our house to get all of our animals um, spayed or neutered. Oh, I thought you were going to say we always give them their privacy. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up with eight rabbits? Uh, after we got a few rabbits, you know, of course, when we moved down to Savannah, we had to find a vet who was capable of caring for rabbits. Uh, there's really one in the area that we trusted. And her staff loves us. And every now and then they get, you know, some rabbit that comes in and um, they don't have any place to take it so eventually the vet started calling us saying like oh you know this rabbit came in off the street it was obviously domestic will you take it in um you know we've already neutered him and and you know we've kept him for a couple of weeks to make sure he's healthy but we'd like you to take him because we know that he'll be okay with you so my wife and i always say yes because we're you know bleeding hearts for animals especially rabbits and that's happened a few times now. Our latest came from the Las Vegas area where there was kind of an emergency situation and 200 something rabbits ended up in the care of a rabbit rescue out there. And so they've been placing them all over the country. And um, they reached out to my wife and said, hey, we've got this one that he's our favorite. And can we get him to you somehow? And he just joined our fluffle, which that is the technical term. <laughs> wow. I swear to God, that is the technical term for a group of rabbits. You know, murder of crows, pack of dogs, fluffle of rabbits. Hey, fun technological fact for a second. Do you know why it's called a pod in Kubernetes? No. Because the collective for a group of whales, and what's the logo logo for Docker, is a whale, is a pod. So Kubernetes has pods, which are collections of Docker containers. Anyway, carry on. And, and Andrew has fluffers. That's fluffers. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of grown that way. We've, we've only bought, I think three or four rabbits total over the years that we've been caring for them. And the rest have all come to us. And there have been some who've passed away from those kind of, uh, um, health issues that I mentioned before where, yeah, they just weren't healthy rabbits and they went real quick. So otherwise we would have, I think, uh, 10. That is, that is a very interesting and, uh, unexpected detail from, uh, from you, Drew. And I appreciate <laughs> you sharing that. And I, I don't know if, if that is more, is it, is it more or less surprising that Brent also has a bit of a uh, animal farm story only his are a little more esoteric than rabbits aren't they brent <laughs> um yeah i could relate a lot drew to what you're experiencing um i somehow with a partner of mine previously uh, found myself fostering a whole bunch of squirrels a few different <laughs> litters of squirrels which was such an amazing experience and drew i'm sure you've uh, appreciated this too like um at least the squirrels that I got at the time, they were, they would fit in the palm of your hand. They were a few weeks old. Uh, they were sort of, uh, well, the first one came to us from a friend who found it sort of in the middle of a parking lot. And, um, same thing. We did our research and said like, what the heck do you do with a, basically a three week old squirrel that doesn't even have its eyes open yet? You do nothing. That's what you do. You do nothing with it. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> It's hard to do nothing. It's easier to do something for some of us with big hearts, I guess. I suppose. But it was a cool experience, you know? So we ended up making a connection with a wildlife sanctuary. And uh, they there's so there's like lost squirrel baby seasons. They fall out of trees and things. And uh, But anyways, so we ended up going there and saying like, look, we found the squirrel. Would you guys take it? And they said, well, we have too many. So uh, why don't we teach you how to take care of it? And so they did. And then before we left, they said, well, would you take two others with you? Um, so they gave us a cage and this whole thing. So we ended up caring for these squirrels for quite a while. The whole idea with the squirrels, which is different than you, Drew, is that uh, the whole idea is to, to end up rewilding them. So um, after I think it was two months, we ended up sort of bringing this litter up. Ah. You had to let him go. Yeah, but it was really touching. Like we taught them how to eat and taught them how to be scared of cars. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the most hilarious thing was um, at the time, it was great because the place where I lived was sort of a quiet section of Chinatown in Ottawa at the, play at the time. And uh, so I knew a lot of the neighbors and I had lived there for a little while. So I'd be talking to a neighbor or someone walking by on the sidewalk and all of a sudden a squirrel would jump on me and go onto my shoulder and just like join the conversation and you should see the face on the other bullet that happens. <laughs> well, I bet. I bet. This man's communicating with these animals. Well, that's great. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that too, Brent. <laughs> How on earth do you train a squirrel to be scared of cars and, and stuff? <laughs> I was wondering that too. I was wondering how deep we want to go. How deep do we want to go down that hole? But I, I was curious about that too. Well, I think it's like, like anything with people too, you, um, at least with the squirrels, the strategy was, you know, there weren't very many uh, cars on this, um, dead end street that I lived on, but that was sort of an important life skill for a squirrel, you know, in an urban squirrel at least. So, um, <laughs> basically when there was a car coming, we would just sort of scare them on purpose. And I think you do kind of the same thing with dogs. If you're trying to not get them to go into a certain area, you discourage it somehow. Right. So 
I think squirrels have a slightly smaller brain than most of us. So some loud noises and stuff seem to do the trick. Brent, Squirrel Whisper. Well, thank you for sharing that, Brent and Drew. Uh, welcome aboard. It's good to have you uh, here for your first Friday stream. Good to have you on the team. Drew is now our second audio editor working with Joe on these uh, these fine, fine productions. Uh, what do you say, guys? Let's uh, move right along to uh, some actual news. To segue into Red Hat Summit, I thought maybe we could talk about something tangentially related that was going on at the same time as Red Hat Summit, and that's Uber going for its big IPO, the much, much hyped IPO, but also a massive, massive protest that was going on outside of the convention center that the Red Hat Summit was being held at. And while we were there on day Wednesday and Thursday, there were protests taking place, and there were people that were striking and not driving, not picking up attendees. And when you've got an event with 9,000 people, you need uh, ride hail services. And it wasn't just Uber drivers protesting. It was also Lyft drivers. It was a it was a joint protest of, of both, and it made a big impact on the day. And while we were there, we happened to catch a little bit of audio of it. Coinciding with our trip to the Red Hat Summit is a joint protest by Uber and Lyft drivers over the various terms of service that they have with their contractual employers. And as part of their strike, they are taking their cars off the road. So there is, there's about 8,000 attendants here at Red Hat Summit, and there's uh, very few Uber and Lyft rides to accommodate. This has been in the headlines. You knew about this before I did, Wes. I just heard about it on the news this morning. I mean, it's a big deal, right? How many of us take an Uber or a Lyft ride in a week, a month? Probably many of our listeners. It is a stark reminder that everyone's forced to put on a pleasant demeanor when you're riding the car. Or not talk at all. But there are um, real difficulties just trying to survive in this world. Yeah, everybody's trying to get that high rating. uh, But there are real issues. You know, they don't want to bitch to you while they're driving, of course. But they also want to make us aware of it. Do you think it's a coincidence that uh, they're doing it outside an event center that's holding uh, 8,000 attendees to uh, the Red Hat Summit? That can't be a coincidence. They must have known this was their time to strike. And really, in a way, kind of, you know, inconvenience the attendees. I mean, bo- you know, boo-hoo, right? But, I mean, it, does, it makes an impact when you've got this many people here looking for uh, ride hire services. Yeah, this is exactly the clientele that is disconnected from the service. And I think it's important, as, as people in the IT industry, we are the enablers of modern businesses, whether, whether for good or bad, right? Like Uber and Lyft can't operate without the technical people who run their services and make them, perhaps using many of the technologies we see here at the summit, and whether you agree or not, you should, we should at least be thinking about the outcomes of our actions. Cheese, you had a chance to chat with an Uber driver, too, about this situation. Yeah, I did. Um, on the way to the airport, I asked him, I'm like, so, so what's going on, man? You know, so what's this all about? And he was a full-time driver, and he told me, he said, really what it comes down to is that they're, you know, $94 billion um, you know, and they're about to IPO their evaluation. They're about to IPO, which I think has gone down a little bit since since that. They're not giving the drivers a lot of the f- options that they need first. So, for instance, this guy, he knows that autonomous cars are coming down the road. He knows that Uber is going to be into it. Um, he thinks that th- he 
and full-time drivers like himself should have first access to these vehicles so that they can buy them, assemble a fleet, and have these cars do work for them. Uh, which, you know, I think is is absolutely. He's he's looking ahead in the future and where the tech is going to go, and he knows where he needs to be to be able to make money and to be able to, you know, feed his family. So it's really interesting um, how... You know, they do that and, and, and how much of a cut they take. So he said if he had to drive to, say, uh, Rhode Island, Uber would take 30% of that fare right off the top. Not uh, taking into account uh, the fact that the car that he's using was uh, he was using a get around car, which basically he rents by the by the hour, by the day, however, however you want to do that. Um, so it, it wouldn't be profitable for him to take, you know, someone on a trip like that. Yeah, you got fuel and maintenance too. Exactly. So I think that's really where they're frustrated is that for there there needs the way that he explained it is there needs to be different a different tier set for different drivers. If you're a full-time driver, you should get these privileges. Um he said, you know, there's not even an HR company to contact. It's like if we have a problem. I, there's not there's no HR for me to just go talk to. It's not there. It does it doesn't exist. Isn't this the gig economy, though? I mean, uh, Alex, you say you've got you've got a take on this too. I do, and it's a slightly different angle. So, when I used to live in London, the um, black cab, black taxi drivers used to regularly block major intersections in London, probably once a month or so, um, which brought traffic in London to a grinding halt. So, you have black cab drivers protesting against Uber. My wife at that point was getting the the bus to and from work, which was a school maybe six or seven miles down the road. Um, and because of these black cab drivers, none of the uh, London buses could work. So what's your first reaction? Well, let's call an Uber. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, So it's not only the Uber drivers who are protesting. It's also the entrenched industry of, of mini cabs and of black cabs and uh, other you know, ride sharing, whatever you want to call it, services, uh, protesting as well. So there's, there's, there's so many different angles to this. Um, and to reply to Cheese's kind of comment about this, this guy looking forward and saying he should have first dibs over the ride, you know, the autonomous fleets. I, I mean, maybe, but you know, it's, it's a capitalist society very much over here. Um, and you know, isn't, isn't it, survival of the fittest if if you if you're in a position to be able to think that clearly that far ahead all power to you go ahead and invest in it if you have the means well i think his idea was that he didn't want to be replaced by some future fleet in a city such as boston but why my question really is why why should he get first dibs i'm not saying i'm not saying that he shouldn't have some form of workers rights cuz i think not even having a hr department is pretty poor um and and, and I, I agree actually that full-time employees should probably be different from the gig economy drivers right from from the people who are just doing a friday saturday night you know two or three hours here or there to, to make their car payment or whatever they, they are different classes of people working quote unquote for uber yeah fair enough and you know what let us know what you think on twitter hashtag friday stream uh, but so that takes us to the red hat summit and we have so many stories we're going to share in linux unplugged where there's a lot to go into but let's start for this show with what i think 
is perhaps the best 39 seconds of the entire keynote. But before we get to that 39 seconds, we've got to set this up for you. So imagine a giant exhibition hall. You, you could park several 747s in this thing. I mean, it's long and huge. And overnight, or actually it was probably within a matter of hours, the staff transformed this place into a dark, steamy tunnel with light jets of laser jet-like lights that jetted out of the ground and formed a triangular entrance into what was what I kind of called Jim's giant chat show, where there was about 8,000 people in one room with a multi-million dollar stage with giant screens with couches that would slide out of hidden doors and then move out, and then when they were done, would slide back into a hidden door that was also a screen. It was incredible. Now, we've got some pictures we're going to share for Linux Unplugged. We've got some pictures on my Twitter, too. We took lots and lots of pictures. But I, I thought, to kind of give you a sense of what this giant, giant, giant crowd was like, we'd share the best 39 seconds with you that won't be in Linux Unplugged. This was a brilliant moment. We got in a little late, so we were standing on the left side of the room. And I didn't realize at the time that the left side of the room was where the majority of the Red Hatters were sitting. <laughs> you see, that was where you wanted to be because you got the Red Hat employees reaction to everything that was happening on stage. But something that was definitely distinctly noticeable was the clinking of beer bottles on the cement floor of this giant expo hall. And... I'm not exaggerating in my cheese when I say you would hear bottles clinking every few seconds, just constantly. Oh, yeah, constantly. You'd hear, you'd hear like one or two get kicked in the middle of, you know, someone's presentation and then they'd roll down because it was, had a slide embankment. So it would roll down and then it would hit someone else's foot and kind of skid off their foot and roll down. It was hilarious. It's that unmistakable sound of beer bottles, too. It's an undoubted, you just, you know it. And in fact, it was so clear and so loud and so many of them that at first we made the mistaken assumption that, well, I mean, this is Red Hat. They handed out beer to the Red Hatters. Oh, no, my friends. No, it's even better than that. The Red Hatters smuggled in their own beer and their CEO not only noticed, but called them out on stage. This is the best 30 seconds of the entire summit. Alright, yep, top level guest now. We went three or four guest hosts deep. Jim's back up on stage. Still no Sachi Nadella though. Alright, John. So I have to ask, is there some strange bottle rolling contest going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> if so, I want in. <laughs> Save the game for me. Give me a few more minutes. No, no, so That's hilarious. And then the bottle clinking really picked up after that. It was <laughs> it was very funny. And I thought for sure at first that everybody had just been handed a beer. There was so much of it. Nope. No, there's a lot of little uh, in-references and culture things that we were picking up at this Red Hat Summit that uh, I, I couldn't really appreciate uh, having been my first time until I had a chance to see some of it firsthand. It's things that just don't get talked about in the news. Like only certain people get to have the coveted Red Hat only certain people have this, this type of thing or this type of shoe or this kind of badge. It's, 
it's really kind of an interesting hierarchy of, uh, of a recognition system. And not in a bad way, because that can kind of feel like uh, exclusionary, but instead it's more like achievement milestone uh, has a sense to it. I actually think they do a really good job. But one of the things that blew me away, just the scale of which I've maybe only ever seen at like a, a Comic-Con or another like outside of the tech industry event, just the scale that is so massive that it's beyond any other kind of tech event I had been to. And that was their expo hall where multiple booths may have been well over a million dollars just to assemble. And I thought it'd be fun just to give you our raw reactions as Wes cheese and I enter the red hat ecosystem expo hall for the first time. The press briefings are done. Lunch has been had, and now the moment I have been waiting for since we got here and saw them unboxing everything. We are entering the Expo Hall of all Expo Halls. One of the most impressive floors I have ever seen in my 10 plus years of covering events. I can't wait to go around and see the floor from the high-tech lights to the Azure Cloud booth, the IBM million dollar booth, Intel's here, Dell's here, and there's a puppy area. I don't know about that. I'm going to figure out what that is, too. There's a lot to catch. The money, just the money, like on the displays, like the banners. Cheese and I were walking around just talk, talking to ourselves. Like, well, that's a million bucks right there. There's a thousand bucks right there. There's a five, that's $500 just to ship that right there. <laughs> oh, it was insane. And, and the way that they, they built it from the first time we kind of peeked in in the morning to when we actually walked in and it was all assembled and the time they had to do, it was incredible. I mean, millions and millions of dollars were spent on those set. I mean, they were set pieces really is what they were. Interesting though. One of the things that drew all of our eyes the most that uh, was maybe the most indie um, and I'm low budge is unfair because it was really well done, but it wasn't a multi-million dollar booth. It, it was, it was a real eye catcher, though. If you're a Star Trek fan, it would have drawn you over there because it kind of looked like a Star Trek fan series if they were going to build a warp core. And there was there were three of them, and there was even like conduits that connected them. And and then inside these chambers, there were phone handles. It it really boggled the mind, and uh, we wanted to see what it was about. Innovators on the line, technology saving lives. So this has been something that's been capturing our attention the entire time. Oh, I see. So, Wes, you go in here and you learn about different innovators. You, you go inside the booth, and then I think you put it up. So here, here's a chief data scientist, vice president of digital transformation at BP. And then you would pick up the phone off the handle, and it, which is an old-school-looking handset, and then you would hear the voice of that particular individual like you're having a phone call with them. In 20 years' time, unless we do something differently, the features won't exist it was a it was a fascinating experience because you're in somewhere that's so visually rich. I mean, big, huge LCD screens, lots of lights, and then you go up, and this is a completely audio experience. And as you know, it's something I'm pretty into. I think you could tell I was enjoying it because one of the creators noticed that I was really into it, and uh, she walked up just sort of impromptly, and I just started talking to her. So uh, I have a sense that you may know a little bit about this. Uh, what's your name? 
Emily. Hi, Emily. I'm Chris. So uh, what is this called and what's the idea behind it? Yeah, so this is Innovators on the Line. Um, we are from an agency in Portland and called Second Story. We partnered with the Red Hat content team and uh, tried to come up with an interesting way to highlight the Innovation Award winners by um, having this intimate experience like you suggested. Um, the idea is that, you know, it's, it does feel a little bit exhibit-like. It's really special and kind of elevating um, all of the uh, speakers and what they're saying. And then the content was selected based on different themes. So the central theme being innovation and then each of the uh, satellite pods, like this one is the future that we're standing in. Um, and then when you listen to the content, it, activates the LEDs and really bringing in this sense of connection, um, but also kind of creating a sense of place as well. So did your team come up with the design of the booths as well as collect the audio? How does that part of it work? Yeah, so Red Hat collects the audio. They do all of the uh, interviews and everything, and then they provided us with the content. Our team works with them to uh, select the content and then as well as come up with the design. Um, Red Hat is all about collaboration. You can see it when on all of their signage, and they really work quite collaborative with us. So we worked really closely with them at every step, every design decision. We worked with their creative director, um, so they signed off on everything and we worked really well with them. Emily talked a lot about the fact that Red Hat was very collaborative in the process and really open to interesting new ideas and their team went out and collected that audio too. Just just a full spectrum corporate event, uh, polished and well done and that was a really fun booth and it turns out they're just, they're just down the road from us. There were so many others. We'll talk more in, in Linux Unplugged but there's just so many other cool things that they did there, including like hammocks and things like that and some places to play games. And of course, they had great sessions and events, but there was just aspects of it that were fresh and new. Uh, and it, uh, it was pretty fun. It was a good time going to Boston. We got to hang out downtown Boston. We got an Airbnb that was great. I, uh, you know what we ought to do, Cheese? Let's call, let's see, let's see if we can find, uh, let's see if we can find Wes Payne. What do you see? see Wes, where's Wes at? You want to call him up? You want to call up Wes? Let's see if he answers. Hello. Hello, Mr. Payne. Um, happy Friday to you, sir. It's Friday. It's Friday. So I was just uh, I was just telling the show about uh, how great it was that we got to go to Boston and just really enjoy the city, how beautiful it was, how quiet it was, how nice the Airbnb was. And I thought maybe you'd like to share an anecdote uh, from your experience with, on the trip. So, okay, my favorite part is that we brought a non-conference attendee, your lovely wife, Hadia, of course, because, I mean, as you've just been talking about, there's a there was a ton going on at the Red Hat Summit, so we didn't quite get to see enough of Boston as maybe we would have liked. But Hadia did, and she figured out all the best places for us to go. So not only did we like wake up in the morning to her making pancakes, but she took us to an amazing Boston pastry joint, and then we all got a sugar high. <laughs> That's yeah. She'd go out and do our uh, Boston recon while we would be working the press track at the Red Hat Summit, and then we'd text her as we're finishing up, and we'd either meet up wherever. And we also went to Cheers, of course. You got to do that when you're in Boston. That was great. <laughs> that was so much fun, Wes. It was really great hanging out with you too. Turns out, you're not you don't make for a bad roommate. I can officially say, if you ever need a roommate reference, you can put me down now on your list. That really was nice, and we got a um, you know, we got a a, a brainstorming center instead of being in three separate hotel rooms disconnected with each other. You know, the Airbnb actually had a, a living room where we could all hang out and reflect on the day. Yeah. Yeah, and that actually made a big difference because we would then, and there was like one evening we sat out in the backyard in like 
rocking chairs and lawn chairs and we're chatting about just sort of processing the entire thing and it kind of helped us put all of it in context where if we'd gone off into our individual hotel rooms we wouldn't have done that that's where all of our key insights came from so uh no credit to us all credit to the airbnb yeah uh, also uh thanks to cheese and you for growing up and uh letting the lady and i have a little alone time every now and then that was nice you went out and <laughs> hit a liquor store run while the lady and i got you know husband and wife time so uh thank you guys for that thank you very much Anytime. <laughs> All right, Wes, have a good rest of your Friday. We'll talk to you later. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. There you go. Wes Payne, everybody, on the uh, Jupiter uh, bat signal. Had a really good time there and uh, would love to go back to Boston sometime. I, I was, um, I was uh, remarking to the guys the entire, the entire trip, like, I can't believe how quiet it is here. I don't know what I expected, but, you know, when you're in downtown, I just kind of expected... Uh, like horns and swearing, you know, like it, like it sounds like when you're in New York or downtown Seattle or whatever. But uh, no, it's it's very quiet, very peaceful, very pretty. Are there horns and swearing in Seattle? I didn't see any of that when I was there. Well, there's some honking, you know, that honk, honk, get out of the way, asshole, you know, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of that. Oh, not like not like flugel horns or anything. That's what I was picturing. Now, there's tons of that. I think what it is in Boston, there's plenty of that. But they got all these weird shaped buildings that like curve and they, they, they just have like sound blocking, dampening mechanisms throughout the city. We were in it. We were in an Airbnb downtown and we're in like 11 o'clock at night and we're in the backyard and it's 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 like whisper quiet in a in down in a downtown of, of a city. Like that just seems really odd to me. I mean, that's just not typically my experience, you know, logical. Chris, do you have any sense of the the population of Boston? Mm, I think it's billions. I think it's billions and billions. No, no, I didn't. It was. It felt. It felt like there was quite a bit of people. It did, it was kind of busy and crowded, but um, you know, not as busy and crowded as I've as some other uh, East Coast cities that I've been to. So, approximately seven hundred thousand. So you mean not seven billion people in one city? No, I thought for sure. Oh, I thought for sure that's what it was. The reason I ask is that. Uh I lived in Ottawa for a while, and I guess my squirrel story tied to that, but it's it was about <laughs> 900,000, and uh, the downtown in Ottawa, and it's maybe like this in Boston that you experienced, um, the downtown in Ottawa would just totally clear out on weekends and was completely a dead place, and that's basically why I lived there, because it was super quiet whenever I wanted to do anything, so I wonder if it's the same case. Hmm. Hmm. Bizarrely, it's the same story in the city of London as well. So every, maybe every block or so in London, uh, we don't have blocks, but you know what I mean. Um, there's a Starbucks and a pret and, you know, you, you can't walk more than 30 seconds during the week without going past some kind of a food outlet. But at the weekend, if you go down there on a Saturday or a Sunday, um, you have to walk like a mile to get to one that's actually open. You have to walk past several of these things that are closed because during, you know, these things are set up to work during, you know, business hours to cater to suits, not normal people like us. There's a couple of stories that don't fit in a lot of our other shows. Like some of the things that are coming out of Google IO, they just doesn't really fit in any of the categories of our show. So I thought we could cover some of that here and chat with you guys about it. And maybe the big story that everybody's been anticipating for quite a while, but actually happened finally is the announcement of the Pixel 3a. Here's a clip from The Verge. This is a solid phone that costs 400 bucks and it has a great camera. That combination of those three things never happens. And that's the Pixel 3, I think, uh, right there in a nutshell. It's rendered in plastic, as they put it. It has the Snapdragon 670 system on a chip, so it's a little bit slower. It actually has a slightly better battery and it has the same camera as the higher-end Pixel. 
Is this the natural successor to the Nexus 5 then, do you think? That's what I was thinking. I wonder if it's, yeah, is it them or is it them writing a mistake? Because the Pixel sales have been a bit un- underwhelming. And I always thought that was one of the great things about the Nexus line is it gave you a decent phone with great uh, mainline Android. So perhaps they went, oh, maybe we should do that. But it seems like then if you do that, you're going to cannibalize a lot of the higher end Pixel sales. But I think the strategy, think of it this way. I think it makes more sense when you go uh, big picture and think, what if they kept doing this? So uh, David Ruddick, uh, writing for Android Police, says that in a briefing at Google's hardware division last week, one message the team was like trying to drill into him the entire time is that the Pixel 3a and 3a XL are not one-off devices. In his words, Google is committing, at least for the foreseeable future, to releasing affordable versions of its Pixel smartphones, presumably on an annual basis. So you're going to get the main Pixel phone, and then when they figure out, like nine months later or whatever it is, six months later, when they figure out how to make it cheaper, they're going to release like the A iteration. So whereas Apple does the S where it's faster, they're going to do the A. And it's slower, cheaper, but they're going to try, it sounds like, to pull forward the, 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 like the killer feature of the main phone, in this case, the camera. It's interesting because you have OnePlus that have kind of filled this gap for a while. Um, and there are loads of other... It's also smaller companies feeling there's Pocophone who released a really good phone last year, which is pretty much only available in India, but you could find it if you knew where to look. And I, I think it's, there is definitely that sort of four, $500 sweet spot for a phone. And if, if companies can get it right, I mean, I, I find it interesting that they included a headphone jack in this phone, but not in the main pixel. It's it's catering to a completely different set of users. So I guess somebody somewhere went, well, people that are buying a four five hundred dollar phone aren't probably tied, you know, bought into that Bluetooth wireless ecosystem yet. That might be part of why it's it's not a new Nexus line because the Nexus was always sort of the the high mid range, you know, cost conscious device that served as a reference for this is what Android should be. Now you can iterate on this and make it more powerful and more fancy with the custom, you know, Samsung or Huawei, HTC, whatever they want to put on top and really trick it out for a high end device. But, you know, the Nexus was always kind of like a, uh, an affordable device that just kind of showed off what Android could do for not a huge amount of money. And I don't know, this does feel a little different. I think there's another way to put it, and I'm curious to know what you think, Drew. I think another way to put it is it's a different set of compromises. So a couple other things that jump out at me about the uh, Pixel 3a. No wireless charging. It's something I like a lot, but you know, not everybody does. And the fact that it doesn't have water resistance, I find that to be supremely valuable, but not, again, not everybody does. A lot of people have a phone today, much older than a Pixel 3a, that isn't water resistant. They don't, you know, and they're fine with that. And I don't care about not having a headphone jack, but other people care a lot about that. There's different sets of compromises they're willing to make. The screen isn't quite as good as the main Pixel 3 screen. The Pixel CPU isn't quite as fast as the main Pixel 3 CPU, but you got that camera, you got that form factor, you got that Google support, that mainline OS support. And if you're coming from a much older device, or maybe you're fed up with a a crapware device, it seems like a pretty solid option. 
I just wonder how much they're going to cannibalize the regular premium Pixel product line. But I think maybe they're going to also use this as an opportunity to do crazier, higher-end stuff in the higher Pixel. Because if now they're going to offer a cheaper one, then they can also afford to go a little crazier and go even fancier in the main Pixel Cadillac device. And um, and you could kind of expect that maybe a year or two later, those Cadillac features, if you will allow the uh, uh, term, to then transition down to the A devices. And so as a cycle, you'll know first it premieres here, sort of like a lot of uh, auto manufacturers do. You know, first something premieres in the Audi, and then uh, before you know it, it's in the Volkswagen Golf. It's kind of a similar thing. First it premieres in the Pixel line, and then in a year or next year, now it's cheap enough, it's shipping in the Pixel 3a or 4a or 5a line, whatever it might be. And it could be a pretty solid strategy because it gives them a chance to really put the pedal to the metal on the main Pixel device and not try to have to still be kind of price conscious like they have remained. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the big reasons why you see like the headphone jack thrown in because it costs little to nothing for them to throw that in, right? The Pixel 3a device could maybe be a little bit cheaper in that mid-range price point market that that other manufacturers are hitting Uh, but i think you're right i think it allows them to really iterate on new and awesome features in the pixel line and not have to try and tone down um how much you know they're willing to uh resell that item for i definitely think with the 3a they're going to make a lot more money per device than what they do with the three yeah, they're doing other they're doing other like money saving tricks too. Like they're not using gorilla glass, they're using like a knockoff gorilla glass. There's like little things like that in there too that will save them money. There's also the supply chain to consider. Once those supply chains are built up for the the AAA devices, then they can reuse those same supply chains for less money um, down the road because they don't have to be recreated. They're already there. Absolutely. True enough. True enough, yeah. And that's what Apple does with the iPhone line right now. And it's sort of worked perfectly for them. They make a ton of money. I'm so pleased to see it. I think the Nexus 5 was probably the best phone of the last, dare I say it, eight, nine years, something like that. I I used the heck out of that thing until I literally dropped it down the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, very nice. All right, well, Cheesy, what do you know know about Android Auto? Do you ever use uh, Android Auto in any any cars or rentals that you've had? Uh, not really. Uh, I do use it occasionally on my phone. Oh yeah, sure. On the phone mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just set it up and, and just rock it that way whenever I'm in the car. Alex, do you use it with your uh, golf? I love it. And I explicitly wouldn't buy a car without it now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's the camp I'm in too. I'm in that same camp, Android auto or CarPlay. Right now, I prefer CarPlay. In fact, while you were up here for Linux Fest Northwest, I was kind of going on and on about what I prefer about CarPlay, and it mostly comes down to the way they've arranged the UI. But it looks like Google may have just leapfrogged Apple in the UI department, and this is shipping this summer, they say. Here's a, a brief clip from Engadget. And right off of the bat, we're jumping into Google Maps. This doesn't look like what you're used to because Google specifically wanted this to function more like your Android smartphone. You've got sort of a more minimal uh, information tray up top and then a main dock at the bottom. And we've got a couple interesting things going on down here. There's a bell button that actually brings up your notifications that allow you to really quickly triage what's coming in, especially handy if you're at like a stoplight or something and just need to catch up really quickly. 
So just like how CarPlay now has a dock along the left-hand side, which I think is actually superior because it's closer to the driver and uh, on the, and uh, if you have a steering wheel on the other side, then they the dock moves to the whichever side the steering wheel of the vehicle is on. The right side, you mean? Yeah, the the other side. The Android Auto interface is going to be just a dock at the bottom of the screen. Which is, it's fine, but it's not quite as accessible. But they're going to have a home button, just like uh, CarPlay has. They'll have the most frequent app, just like CarPlay has. And playback controls, all right there in the dock. Which is going to be a massive UI improvement for how you navigate this thing. It's, I think it's going to be much, much better. And it's going to have, on top of all of that, an actual straight-up application launcher. One of the last big changes you'll see here is one that Android Auto users have been trying in vain to get for a long time. In the classic Android Auto, accessing your apps is kind of a pain in the ass. It involved a couple menus, it was less elegant than it should be by far. Google has thankfully fixed that with a handy button over here in the corner that brings up exactly what you're used to. If you have an Android phone, this is your app launcher. Yeah, it gives you the drawer of all your apps, essentially. Any of them, at least, that are compatible with uh, Android Auto. So if you'd like to visualize this, if you'd like to see it, I have links to these articles as well as a video walkthrough at fridaystream.com slash three. So go take a look at it if you're an Android Auto user. Seems like a big improvement, a much, much needed improvement. It's been straight up five years since Google has really iterated on the Android Auto UI. Five years. I want this update so bad. I'll tell you what, there's, there's quite a few things using it every day that just drive you crazy. Like if you want to jump, for example, from maps to, uh, between Pocket Casts and Spotify, I was counting it the day. There's, there's about five taps I have to make on the screen. I did the same count. <laughs> the whole point is I'm driving down the road. I should have to do the bare minimum here, not have to work out how to drive to Starship Enterprise in the middle of my thing. And there is one thing that the Engadget... Um, guy picked up which i wanted to touch on briefly which is uh, triaging notifications as you're driving down the road who are these people that can't wait 30 minutes to read a text message until they get home why did it why does that have to be a thing maybe i'm a luddite or something but ah i agree i think the better way to do it would be to just hide all that stuff away automatically when it detects you're in android auto mode it's distracting. Don't show me a thing that says I've just had a text from Jupiter Broadcasting Group, right? I don't, I don't need to know that on the freeway. Yeah, I mean, he, he couches it by saying, well, it's when you're at a stop sign. <laughs> Yet still, don't, don't. <laughs> We've all seen people driving down the road with YouTube in front of their steering wheel. We know what's going to happen. You know, but I would argue uh, I do a lot of um, long travels, uh, like, three plus hours sometimes up to eight or so and i think that would be really great for me to to be able to choose whether or not it's worth stopping to respond to something because i'm usually traveling during traveling during business hours and uh while i can wait for most things um sometimes it's worth stopping so maybe it may help yeah i i could been there yep been there too i could i can get that you're a responsible adult though brent and not everybody is such uh such minded thank you so one thing I'm wondering is using the app on the phone, my car doesn't have, you know, Android Auto built into like a display. And I have tried on several occasions to use it as an app on my phone where my phone's, you know, sitting in a dock on my dashboard. And the performance is just god awful. You know, and this is on a Pixel 2 XL, right? So it's not exactly like a, a schlub of a phone, but 
I'm wondering if they're ever going to make that experience any better, because right now it is atrocious, even on you know, high-end devices. It's better just not to use the full-screen mode on the phone. If you're plugging into your car's infotainment system, the experience is, is much better. Yeah. But just using the phone screen is, is hot garbage, I'd, I'd agree. Oh, it's terrible. I stopped using it. I just dropped back to... They have lovely Spotify... Um, connection with google maps now which works fine yeah and yeah i just can't i i uninstalled android auto altogether because it's so bad well this is where google often has multiple stories and initiatives going on at the same time that kind of conflict with themselves because if you're paying attention to google io it also kind of sounds like google assistant might just replace the entire android auto interface one day and also, good news, everybody, it's also coming to Waze. Last year, we brought the Assistant to Android Auto, and earlier this year, we added it to navigation in Google Maps. I'm happy to share, the Assistant is also coming to Waze in the next few weeks. Now, I'd like to show you the future of how we're improving your mobile driving experience even more, introducing the Assistant's new driving mode. Just put your phone in the car and say, hey, Google, let's drive. Driving mode has a thoughtfully designed dashboard that brings your most relevant activities front and center while you're driving, and includes suggestions personalized for you. For example, if you have a dinner reservation on your calendar, you'll see a convenient shortcut to navigate to the restaurant. Or if you started a podcast at home in the morning, once you get in your car, it'll display a shortcut to resume the episode right where you left off. I mean, to me, it sounds like they're working on a Google Assistant UI that just essentially replaces Android Auto. And maybe that would be better because I have found one of the better ways to use Android Auto is through the Assistant because then it's completely hands-free. And if they could just make that better, make that a, a, a premier feature, then it'd be great, especially with a lot of the on-device processing they announced at I.O. as well. Yeah, we'll see how far they take this, but that's a direction I'm really, really, really happy to see Google go. They talk about taking some of their voice models and breaking it down to just half a gig and then deploying that onto new Android devices so that the assistant will do the voice recognition and context understanding on device. And they claim it gives it a 10x speed improvement. So there's real motivation to do it. And then it would work offline, and then it would work much better as a car interface. You can see maybe where they're taking this thing. But like all things Google now, I worry about the future of a product that I use. <laughs> you know, now it's like, sounds like Android Auto's days are numbered. <laughs> it's going to go away. Did you see that they're shuttering the works with Nest program this week? Um, yes, but they also renamed the uh, Home Hub to be like Google Home Nest Hub or something. Yeah, they're just reusing that brand. And you do you do touch on a really interesting point that you just can't trust Google, any Google product to have any longevity. It's It's a fool's errand. Just to touch on that works with Nest thing very quickly. For a product which advertised if this then that support on the box, they are now breaking that compatibility with if this then that with that um withdrawal announcement this week fascinating so do not rely on anything that uh, that google make to stick around <laughs> hmm it's almost you know if only somebody could have given a talk on how to have a home automation system that doesn't rely on the cloud if only self-host all the things 
Yes. Uh, we may have audio of that talk at github.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting even. So moving on, uh, let's uh, one last little thing, just jumping out before we get out of here. Uh, every now and then on the Friday stream, read just as often as we possibly can. We want to recap a moment that happened on the network. Could be from all of the shows, one of the shows. Well, this this week, um, I didn't pick this clip because I was at Red Hat Summit. I, I'm, I'm betting either Joe or Drew picked this clip. And listening back to it, I can't believe we did this. Um, and I won't say anything more, but uh, in Linux Unplugged 300, because I love to have fun on the show live, I talked Wes into live upgrading one of our most valuable production servers running Fedora, and it didn't go great. This is what I sound like when I'm having a panic attack, by the way. I still sound like my regular self. I'm just exploding with emotions on the inside. Well, I'm trying to load the upload page that I use to publish the shows and nothing yet. Yeah, that means the containers haven't started yet. That's for the Castablaster system. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I mean, we've had a clean disk mount. That's always good. I got to come over and look. I got I to gotta come over here and look. Stand by. Okay. All right, that's just a bunch of system D. That's just a bunch of system D error messages on the screen right now. Uh, I mean, they're uh, they're audit log. Oh my lines. god! I just broke our, one of our most important servers for a stupid bit on the show. <laughs> <laughs> then the show wraps up, and in the post show, uh, Wes does get the server back online. So uh, we thought by the end of the post show, we were in good shape, and for the most part, I mean, we are in shape. But we're not in good shape. Uh, I discovered while we were in Boston, uh, <laughs> this is my morning. I'm sitting in the Airbnb trying to wake my ass up after a night of uh, being up doing things. And I'm sitting there in the kitchen and Wes Payne comes up um, the steps and he's like, uh, <clears throat> have you been rebooting Orbital? And I say, uh, what? You know, Orbital, have you, you know, have you been rebooting it? What are you, what are you talking about? It, yeah, it's been rebooting. In fact, I think it killed a job, and it's it's caused a few issues. And I, I think, oh crap, we just upgraded that thing to Fedora thirty and left for Boston, didn't we? And now we're having issues. Shocker! <laughs> it was, yeah. So there, it's not flawless, but it is working. My, however, my Fedora thirty workstation seems to be just fine. So I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the cause of ever, all the issues were because we haven't dug into it yet. But I'll, I'll try to get to the bottom of it before the next Linux unplugged. We'll probably we'll probably figure it out by then. Cheesy, I think that's it for today. I think we're all done here, man. It's Friday. It's Friday. Woo! It's time for you to recover this weekend. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm gonna do this weekend? What? You know what I'm doing? I got my Node MCUs in. I've got a little uh, OLED screen to play with. I got some DHT 111 sensors. I got a brand new soldering iron. Damn, girl. Uh, some solder. I'm going to get in it, man. And then I'm going to bug the hell out of Alex while, while it doesn't work. My Telegram inbox is on mute, cheese. oh man well alex uh thank you once again for uh joining us and uh hosting uh plex server anyways also drew great to have you pleasure is mine i hope you'll uh come back soon brent good to see you as always how are things up there are you uh on the west or the east (laughs) where's brent uh i'm actually uh what is it west still west still in bc so i'm gonna be here for another week or two so a few shows but uh yeah everything's great so great to be here. Nice, man. Well, have a good weekend. Oh, thanks. It's good to see you. Now, the Friday stream is actually a show. It's a legit show 
FridayStream.com. It's in iTunes now. It's in the podcast directories. You can watch us live. See you back here next Friday. I got the shag on the seat, so finish. I like your whipped cream better than a movie screen. I better love your